Hi again. Thanks for listening to the podcast as ever for our return listeners and for anybody that's new. Welcome along to Sophie's China Manufacturing Decoded. It's episode 166 today and I'm Adrian and Renault, our CEO, is with me. Hello, Renault. Hey, hi, Adrian. Hi. What are we talking about today? Today, well, we found a quite interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, and the article was from earlier this year, uh, 2023, and it was about, well, it was titled, Companies Rush to Trace Sprawling Supply Chains as Sustainability Rules Loom. Bit of a mouthful. So what we're basically talking about is how you can track what's going on in your supply chain, because you might well need to do that quite soon, uh, especially, I guess, if you're uh, if you're going to be exporting from places like China to Europe. This is this is a growing trend. It's a, it's a growing issue for importers, and that's that's uh, that's why we're going to cover it this time. Right. Not not just how you can trace, but why. Mm. Mm. Uh, first, we're going to cover why um, why is it is going to be more and more critical. Uh, and sort of the usual difficulties especially with chinese supply chains and and then yeah what some companies are doing right Mm -hmm. Um, so we discussed before on this podcast several times including with clive greenwood you know all of the changing landscape when it comes to the regulations in the european Mm -hmm. union okay and European Union has what they call the Green Deal is is a is a major initiative and they are working on I forgot like 50 or 50 or 60 different directives and regulations you know to to renew some of them to pass new ones and it's going to impact you know all the products sold in the EU basically now some of them are very very specific like for example the battery regulation <laughs> so the proposal came up. We already have a good idea of what it is. Okay, we don't have the details yet. Okay, it's only about batteries, you might say, but hey, it's also going to impact a lot of products that have batteries. Yeah. So everybody dealing with electronics, you know, uh, you know, portable electronics uh, should should pay attention to this. For, for example, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things coming up, and as we as we mentioned before. It's going to have a lot of impact and it's coming soon. So mm. problem with these, you know, these directives and, and regulations that we can see them coming, you know, and there's a proposal usually by the European Commission, right? So for example, there's a proposal about the eco design for sustainable products regulation. Mm. This regulation is going to have a major, major impact on a lot of industries. Uh, pretty much all industries except food and feed, but starting with a major impact on building materials, you know, including lighting products, et cetera, et cetera, and also on uh, textiles uh, with a particular aim at fast fashion, right? These are the first two industries. However, all other industries will also be subject to this uh, this regulation from 2025 with the dig- digital mm. product passport and so on and so forth. A number of, um, of, of, of extra requirements that really are new requirements. Okay, so yep. that's an example. Another major one is the corporate sustainability due diligence 
directive. Okay, that's going. It's still at the state of stage of proposal right now, but it will basically force companies to do due diligence into their supply chains, right? Mm. Uh, upstream, right? Where they buy and then where does this come from? Where does that come from, etc. Right? And there's also the um, corporate reporting directive. I forgot. Basically about non-financial reporting, right? And this one is coming into effect 2025 for big companies and then 2026, 27, 28 for smaller and smaller companies. Now you might say, okay, that's only for big companies and that's 2025. Whoa, let's be careful here. Okay, 2025, meaning that they have to already collect all the data in 2024 fiscal year, Mm. right? And so they have to put the systems in place right now. And well, if you are not a big European company, but maybe you are the tier one supplier to one of these companies, they're going to ask you a lot of questions, right? And if you are the tier two supplier, some of that might still also go down to you. Okay, because the tier one supplier will be asked a lot of questions and will also ask questions to their own suppliers, right? So it's actually already going to impact other companies in the coming month. And, and there's a number of others. Okay, I'm not going to, to go into everything here. But no. a lot of people in Europe don't they really underestimate the impact it's going to have. And in this, this article, I found it interesting. They quote a, um, a partner in a law firm. Okay, his, his name is uh, Tim Constable. Okay. He tells companies, remember GDPR, you know, that mm. European um, piece of legislation yeah, yeah. that was about um, personal data. And then you, you have the right to request that, for example, Facebook in the EU uh, mm-hmm. maybe would have to remove your account. And you have the right to to request all kinds of data that, that they have collected about you over the years and all these kinds of things. Right. Yeah. It had a, a lot of impact on a lot of companies including non-European, right? Because Mm. they are present on the EU market. And then he says, well, all of these uh, upcoming regulations in the supply chain, that's how big it's going to be. I believe he is right. Everybody's going to to wake up and scramble and say, well, you know what? We have to do this. We have to do that, right? And, And a lot of these regulations actually point in the direction of you can't just buy a product somewhere in a showroom, slap your logo on it, put it on the EU market, right? Mm. <laughs> it's already not allowed in principle, right? Uh, you're supposed to, to do an EU declaration of conformity. You need to have like the bill of material and, and the technical files and, and, and uh, some test reports and so on. But all of these regulations and directives are adding some extra requirements about sustainability basically right it's a very wide topic but you have to collect a number of um, you know the pieces of information about the product right so it's due diligence about what kind of substances are in the product because if the product is not compliant to reach pop ross and so on cannot be recycled properly with some other products uh, you know so the resulting product also would not be able to uh, to 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 comply 
uh, with these requirements. So that that's that's one issue. And then you have the usual, you know, is it a durable product that can be uh, repaired and maintained and, and recycled and you know, properly dis, uh, disassembled for recycling and so on, right? Uh, and then you have, um, you know, what about the manufacturing? Do you know where it's made? Do you know that there's no forced labor? Do you know that it's made in environmentally responsible manners and mm -hmm. so on and so forth? And this mm -hmm. is really very wide, right? Um, in the US right now, there's a very big deal about the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, Yeah, right? It was passed in 2021 and then people were kind of wondering, okay, how is it going to be enforced? You know, the customs are going to do something the way they interpret it and, and so on, right? And then the way it came out is that customs and border protection get really tough and they blocked thousands of containers of solar panels because one of the ingredients of photovoltaic cells is polysilicon and most of the polysilicon made in the world is made in Xinjiang. All right. There you go. Uh, <laughs> and, and, but it's not just that. It's, you know, products made in China or Cambodia or some other places with cotton that might be cotton mm -hmm. from Xinjiang. I think it's even the labor where if they've suspected that certain areas of China have well-known Uyghur labor forces, people that have left Xinjiang right. and they're working in factories, you know, maybe in, in neighboring provinces, I guess is most yeah, likely. Yeah, yeah. They've definitely scrutinized those and said no to some of those as well. Right, right. And then what they do is they, they seize the... Um, the container, so it's usually things that arrive by sea, right? At the port, this is the container, put it in a certain area, and then they give, I forget, one or two months to the importer to to say, okay, what is this? You know, and mm -hmm. do you have clear and objective evidence that this was not made with forced labor? And the importers would be like, uh, you know, well, we have this declaration from the supplier and we have like, um, we have this social audit report, but the, the auditing firm was chosen by the manufacturer, you know, mm. something like BSCI and something like that, that's actually not independent from the manufacturers. Um, and, and Customs and Border Protection says this is not objective evidence, sorry. You know, have you actually done due diligence in an objective manner? <laughs> you know, basically yourself or a company that you chose that actually mm. went on site to, to check if it's not forced labor? No? Well, then we're sorry. You cannot provide evidence of that. We, we're not releasing the uh, the container, right? So it's been hitting a lot of companies pretty hard. Mm. And the general feeling that people have is that the EU, the European Union, is not really enforcing their directives and regulations very carefully, right? The different customs uh, administrations of the various countries and the different market surveillance authorities from the different countries do it in, in, in quite a inconsistent manner, right? Mm. And the fines are different from country to country for, for, for various kinds of uh, infractions. So that has really given the general impression that the EU is actually pretty relaxed, right? They, they might have a lot of laws on the books, but who cares? Actually, it's never checked, right? It's a little bit of mm. that feeling. And 
the EU is actively working, the EU Commission is actively working on making it harder and harder for non-compliant products, right? So they've done a few things already. The, the directive that came up in that that came into effect in 2019 forced the, the fulfillment centers such as Amazon and Alibaba and so on to uh, actually be responsible for the compliance of the products they sell. So that's why a lot of Amazon sellers, you know, have, have been sort of kicked out or have been forced to produce a lot of different documentations based on the, um, the risk level mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of the categories of products that is sell on Amazon, for example, right? Uh, that's one loophole that was nicely addressed. The eco-design regulation that's coming up, uh, again, 2025 will come into effect, will force everybody to put a, probably a QR code, right? But they call it a digital product passport. So any consumer on a website or, or, or in a store can took um basically scan the QR code, go to a, a website and see some of the information on the product. Now it's not clear yet what information, but the direction is very, very clear. The direction is hey, very probably the direct declaration of conformity of uh, compliance or the DOC will be accessible by everybody, you know, mm-hmm. plus some extra information, maybe about you know the substances that are in the product. Uh, any restricted substances, etc., because it impacts recycling um, and and things like that. Maybe a user manual, maybe some instructions for repairing the products. Right, these mm-hmm. things will be made uh, mandatory and available to everybody. And then it will be easy for the for for customs or for the market surveillance authorities to also mm-hmm. scan the the barcode. They will have a special access, probably with a password, and they will be able to to look at the technical folder right there. Right? So it will make it much easier and much faster to check different products very quickly, right? Whereas right now it's okay, what is this product? Who is the importer or who is the distributor? And we need to, 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 to contact them and write to them and blah, 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 and wait for them to respond and all that stuff. Now, everything would have to be ready right there, pip. And, uh, you know, at the touch of a button, they'll be able to have a quick look to see if it looks okay or it doesn't look okay, right? And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't look okay, based on the evidence already right there, boom, immediate fine, right? Mm -hmm. And then with everything else that that come with it, right? Uh, You know, you'll be sort of put on the list of companies to watch a bit more carefully and so on and so forth. So that's in the relatively short term 2025 and then i saw also that um, the eu commission has put aside a lot of money yeah that's uh, clive greenwood who's been on this podcast a few times told me about that and then we understood why <laughs> the, the commission is planning to, to basically develop a new it system that will be common to all the customs administrations in all of the eu Right. Mm. So that means a product enters the EU from Pyrrhus, I should say, yeah, the, the port in, uh, in, in Greece or in Rotterdam or in Marseille, you know, same system that will be able to uh, share all of the information about this shipper and this importer 
and this product category and has it been like pre-declared in a proper way or do we have very little information about that okay that's a higher risk you know if oh it's an electrical product is this and that okay it's flagged for a quick check right mm. that's what they really want to do and 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 then over time even maybe the market surveillance authorities might be um how to say might become part of customs or something like that, right? There's a lot of speculation. We don't really know, obviously. And here we're more talking 2028, 2030, right? So mm-hmm. it's not short term. It's not short term. However, this is the way it's going, right? So a lot of SMEs are still sort of waiting, but bigger companies are on the move now. I mean, they are waking up and they have already woken up, right? And all of these to get back to what, what you said at the, the, the beginning of the episode, is all of this is pointing companies to, okay, how do we do proper due diligence upstream in our supply chain, right? In the suppliers mm-hmm. and the suppliers of the suppliers and so on and so forth, right? So how... No, no, that's a scary thought. I, I wonder <laughs> if ever, everybody who's listening, if we could have like a, a virtual show of hands, I mean... I wonder how many listeners can honestly say, yeah, I've got complete transparency over my supply chain that is in, say, China or wherever it is. Especially China, because oh, yeah. things tend to be a bit murky, a bit, I mean, they don't like transparency. This is a country where, how to say, your your personal network, you know, who you know and who you can call for a favor, etc., is seen as a major a major asset, right? And that's yeah. why LinkedIn didn't really work here because people don't really want to add all the high-level connections there for everybody else to, to know and so on, right? Yeah. So actually, it's, it's, really, it's really the country the country of who you know, right? So mm. they, they don't want to, to show who their suppliers are. To them, it's really a, mm. you know, a well-guarded secrets, right? Mm-hmm. And their suppliers, in turn, don't want the, the customers to know, and so on. So tier one is hiding, tier two is hiding, tier three is hiding, and so on. Mm. So even if your tier one supplier is the most cooperative supplier in the world, you'll probably not know anything beyond tier two, <laughs> except if mm. your purchasing volume is pretty high, right? And if you did the sourcing, all of the hard work already at the sourcing stage, meaning that when you qualify the new um, suppliers you already get them to sign the proper document and agree on certain rules and already disclose a lot of the information and so on and so forth right mm. some big companies are good at that and if if you are a big and famous company you know your tier one supplier will tell the tier two supplier hey we're selling to these guys but they force us to disclose that you know the, whatever general motors or, or um whatever siemens yeah, they, they request us to, to do that. Okay. And then a tier two supplier can co- go back to tier three supplier and tell them. Yes. Until it breaks down because maybe, yeah, one of the suppliers doesn't care, usually because the amount, the commercial amount is not very high at that point. They're like, who cares what you want to buy for what, 5,000 RMB of this? Then you want to know who my supplier is? Like, you know, take a hike, right? But if you say, hey, we're going to buy 100 million RMB of this material every year if we get the contract for this new customer, 
<laughs> you know, people look at you with round eyes and say, okay, okay, what, you know, how high do I jump? Yeah, what do you need? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's quite mm. different, quite different. If there are, you know, maybe you're going to speak maybe a little bit more about some of the giant companies that are, uh, you know, starting to mobilize on this with with uh, with urgency. But with smaller businesses who are importing into, say, the EU, right, and maybe some of them at this point are still not really thinking about this as much as perhaps they should be, right, based on what we're mm-hmm. talking about, their Chinese suppliers, they're definitely not going to be caring about this at all at the moment. Oh, yeah. So that's really the big challenge is that Mm. Chinese supply, it's not on their radar. They don't care about all this. They're not following up on what the EU Commission says or does, because historically, they never had to care really about it, right? Mm. Um, They, in most cases, they are totally off the radar also of the market surveillance authorities, because a company buys their product and distributes it without putting their name on it, meaning that who has ultimate responsibility for compliance is the importer, okay? Because they are actually the quote-unquote manufacturer, right? Yeah. So that's the um, uh, that's the situation. They, they, they don't really care. Oh, okay, it's got to have CE mark. Okay, uh, we, we, we put a CE logo on, in, in, the, in a mold. So you have the CE mark, you're happy, right? Oh, CE marking is more than that. Okay, let's get to be a notified body. We get to test this way. Okay, okay. Well, you know, who pays for the testing, right? And it becomes a commercial negotiation. And uh, okay, there should not be any lead, loss, reach. Okay, okay, right? So to them, it's sort of a game of, okay, these are a few hoops to jump through and then that's it, we can sell, right? Um but all yeah. this sustainability stuff, they, yeah, they, they really don't care much. And their first first response usually is, well, why are you asking me for this? You know, I'm, I'm compliant in China. You know, the Chinese government is tough on these things. They don't want us to pollute too much. We, we comply with Chinese regulations, you know, meaning... Like hey, you sell in the EU, you handle the EU side. But the but the EU Commission really doesn't agree with that at all. Right? In their view, mm. it's more like, hey, you want to put this product here, you get to design it properly and you get to know exactly how it's made and where it's made. Right? So for example, the battery regulation. So the proposal was unveiled a few months back. Okay. We don't know all the details yet. But we know for sure certain things. I mean, for for sure, I should say 95% sure, because it's not voted yet. It might change, but it's probably not going to change. So what do we already know is that when you buy certain types of batteries, right, there's a certain scope. Well, then you need to know where the pack is done, where the cells are made. And also you need to have some kind of traceability to potential conflict minerals, right? So because hey, cobalt, nickel, these kind of things, you know, lithium, where do they come from, right? Oh, that comes from um, some kind of forced labor camp in, you know, deep in Congo. Oh, that's really bad, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't want that. Uh, the, 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 the EU basically says, we don't want all these 
you know, they don't want to see these Chinese batteries, but we don't want all these batteries that that are sent to to the EU and nobody knows what they're made of and where they're made. Like that's it, over, you know, game over. And there will be a passport and every one of them. So it's very easy for someone to to double check these kind of things, right? It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that the the pack manufacturer and the cell manufacturer and, and so on will be accessible by every by any consumer we don't know that yet okay however markets of authorities and the customs will definitely have very easy access right uh, and 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 more as i mentioned so mm. uh, if you don't do any due diligence if you don't know anything you're kind of stuck but the problem is you go to your battery manufacturer now and you tell them hey uh, we need to start to collect this information. Well, if you buy half a billion euros of batteries every year from them, you can probably get, you know, quite a bit of information, right? If you if you make it very clear, it's a mm. criterion for sourcing new suppliers. It's a criterion for reconducting you as a supplier next year, etc. But if you buy thirty thousand euros. Uh, you know, of, of of batteries here and there, and you always negotiate on price, and they don't know how long yeah. you're going to be. They don't want to hear anything. They don't Good luck getting a response. Right, right. And again, this is especially difficult with China because, as I mentioned, the business environment there is not very transparent mm. on purpose. In supplier, you know, buyer-supplier relationships is very opaque. But also, in China, there tends to be an enormous amount of of, of um, intermediaries, right? Yep. Oh, it's so much more convenient. I buy it from the local guys, you know, the local distributor, the local whatever, local intermediary. And you, you have so many intermediaries living on a very slight margin sometimes, right? But they... They take care of a portion of the supply chain. You know, they bring the products from here to here, or they help finance a little bit, or you know, they repackage or whatever, right? But the problem is between you and the mine, who knows where the potential conflict minerals are are are, are extracted? It's not like there's three, four suppliers. There might be a dozen suppliers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. from the mine, then it goes to that intermediary that sends it to to that wholesaler, uh, you know, blah blah, and then finally it's sent to maybe to, probably to China for processing, and after processing is d- distributed by that company, and then it's sent to that uh, for that kind of uh, other processing, and then again another intermediary, and da 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 da, right, and then down the road, <laughs> your product went through the hands of a dozen companies. So that's a supply chain that is totally unmanaged, right? So Mm. if you start to actually manage your supply chain, well, you know, it's not about looking at the price of the container and talking to your freight forwarder and, and putting some pressure on your direct supplier. Now, if you set on the EU market, supply chain management, means you actually have to manage the supply chain, you know, sort of all the way up. 
right? Mm. Uh, not not for all of the components that go into, for example, a battery, but a number of things. Uh, you know, textile. Well, you know, where does the cotton come from? Is one thing. Why why is there so much oil based uh, synthetic fibers? Right, and what what can we do about that uh, to reduce the the impact upstream and downstream, including all the microplastics when it's it goes into a washing machine and so on and so forth, right? You you actually have to 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 grab the the the, the horns of the bull, right? <laughs> That's um, sorry for the image, but it, it goes from a yeah a totally free supply chain to a supply chain that will actually be managed and who's going mm-hmm. to manage your supply chain you know is it you is it your customers it, well, right it's the big question isn't it yeah, it's, it's, a there's question. a lot to do for some people right yes yes and it, it's it's an insurmountable challenge for some companies mm-hmm. uh, but it's pretty clear the european commission couldn't care less. There's certain companies that, uh, in their eyes, probably should disappear, right? Mm. So that's that's the situation. So to to get back to sort of the topic of um, the episode today, is that some companies are starting to use some technology to keep an eye on what's going on, to be able to say, yes, you know, we actually do due diligence and we actually follow what really happens right and there's different ways to do that so for example wood products right so there's also a new regulation coming up about deforestation in the eu right so if you're part of the the scheme by fsc or i forget there's another one there's two uh, two schemes uh, that are rather well thought uh, including FSC, okay, uh, it might be the most famous one. So if you are, if you want your product, the end product, to have the FSC logo, right? Whether it is made of paper, cardboard, you know, some pla- some kind of wood or bamboo, or, you know, it's amazing how many products uh, actually are, are, are you know are um, wood based, right? So if you want to put the FSC logo on it, well there has to be a chain of custody all the way up to the forest, right? Mm. So that it, there's actually confidence that the end product comes from a, um, what is it? I forget whatever they call it specifically, but product uh, a forest that is more or less sustainable, right? And, and And every actor in that supply chain has to be certified by fsc right so that's one approach to this okay mm-hmm. um, another approach is to map the supply chain so this became a very hot topic during covid right oh i want to map the supply chain because then i want to know if i don't know if if, if there's a major outbreak in um in that province of china I need to know if I have some of my production, my upstream production up there, right? So I can actually foresee rather than waiting for the last minute and then my tier one supplier says, oh yeah, sorry with that component. Oh, we didn't know it was like this because it's the tier three supplier, right? Mm-hmm. So other companies try to map supply chain and then a bunch of software companies jumped on the bandwagon and say, oh yeah, 
we can map the supply chain, we can map the supply chain, right? <laughs> and again, for very big companies, yeah, you you send a, um, a link, uh, you know, you force your supplier to use a certain software and they, they go in there and they start to input information, right? You buy a billion dollars for a year from them, you're gonna make an effort, right? Mm. And probably there's enough incentive for their own suppliers to also make an effort. But for everybody, apart from the very big companies, mapping the supply chain beyond tier one is extremely difficult. You yeah, might... because you don't know what's going to go in there. If they give information that's not right and it goes in there and then you receive this in your office right. in you know Germany or wherever you are, right. how, you're still not going to know. That's one of the, the key challenges, yeah. But So let's say you buy, I don't know, uh, you, you buy uh, some earbuds, all right? So you buy some earbuds, uh, like AirPods, you know, something like that. You ask your direct supplier, maybe they're in Shenzhen, all right? So they're going to say, yes, we are in Shenzhen, and we do the, we have this manufacturing place right here, and we put it together, Right, and we package it and we send it to you. Okay, great. What about the tier two suppliers? Right? What is the plastic, mm. uh, the, the plastic parts? Where do they come from? And the PCB boards, and the battery, and and, uh, and and these sensors, and so on and so forth, and the packaging materials, and so on. Well, if you never worked with them on an open bomb, uh, open bill of materials, they're not going to tell you all the details of it, right? So what you might come out is you might say, well, right here, the components of interest are the, okay, there's a lot of plastic, so the, the plastic parts and the battery and the PCBA. That's it. You know, these are the three interesting parts. And they're gonna, then if they really are cooperative, yeah, they will say, okay, well, these plastic parts come from a factory in Huizhou, these are the ones that factory in, in, in Dongguan, the PCBA comes from uh, this place in uh, in Shenzhen and the battery from, from another place in Shenzhen, but we're not going to tell you who. Okay. Mm. <laughs> right. So they might give a little bit of transparency on like the identity of one or two key suppliers, maybe if you're lucky and the rest, at least they can tell you, okay, it's, it's in that city. Right. And then that's the end. Like this, this usually there's nothing more you can you can uh, you can get out of it, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you might ask, okay, well, like, what kind of plastic is it? What kind of battery technology is it? Give me the spec sheet of the battery. Uh, uh, sometimes good luck to get to get that even, but that, usually that's going to be it, right? So mapping the supply chain <laughs> is a great concept, but in in, in practice, it's very limited. What you can get out of it is very, very limited. You're not going to do like Toyota or Ford, you know, so forget mm. it, right? You don't even have the staff to to keep going down the supply chain and go on site to verify and so on anyway. So if you get some declarations that cannot be verified also, what's, what's the value of it, right? You buy some, mm. I don't know, you buy some textile products and you say, well, where is it dyed? Where's the dyeing house? Oh, uh, it's over there in Shaoxing, yeah. But um, you know, okay, can we go? Uh, you know, it's it's our supplier. You can trust us. What, what what do you want to know? Well, I want to know if 
they treat the wastewater after because these kinds of dyes are very polluting. Da, da, da. And your supplier will say, oh, okay, we just checked. It's okay. They, they have a system to, um, to treat the water after. So it's not sent directly to the river. That's what you want to know, right? <laughs> and then what do you do with that? It's better than nothing, but it's not much better than nothing, right? It's really not much better at all because how can you trust? Right. So the mapping the supply chain is a very interesting idea and it's good for tier one. It's good if you can identify the risks, where are the risk, what parts constitute some risk. Okay, here's some, I don't know, some casting. Okay, consumers, a lot of energy, boom, risk. Oh, hmm. here's, uh, you know, oh, they do that coating here or whatever. Oh, okay. We know there might be some nickel here. Uh, boom. Okay, that's a risk. You know, th these kinds of things. And then you can add, ask for a little bit of information. And that's usually all you will get, right? So not, um, <laughs> I'm not very encouraging here, right? I'm not very encouraging. Doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like it's enough. <laughs> if you get caught and the customs or the market surveillance authorities think, hey, this is a high-risk product, for such and such reason, you will not mm. be able to defend yourself. Basically, that's what it means, right? Mm. And yeah, these, uh, these, especially the forced labor laws, for forced labor, uh, you know, doing due diligence in your supply chain, da, 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 da. this is not going to be enough. So there's going to be quite a bit of, how would I say, uh, of conflict between the, the, the exporters, and not just in China, by the way. This is this is going to be a challenge for you know exporters in Indonesia, in Vietnam, in Mexico, wherever. Right? It is mm. going to be a challenge. But even for companies in the EU, if you if you produce in the EU, you also have to do that kind of due diligence anyway. Right? So it's going to be a challenge for sort of everybody. Uh, the EU is rather ambitious on this. They really want to go fast, and you know have a big impact that's that's it and finally a uh, kind of technology that is is getting uh, quite popular it seems is to put some little trackers you know just an iot product Oop, you put it there it's got a battery it's got a gps module to to know where it is and it's got some kind of sometimes uh, something like um, 4g 5g or something like that or well, sometimes nothing at all. Uh, it, it might have to sometimes send some information about where it is, right? Mm. Uh, but sometimes it seems like some of them don't even have that. Uh, okay, so for example, in a very simple way, if you want to track your container, right? You you, you send it to your shipper, they put it in the, in the container when it's shipped out. And then anytime you can track, okay, where's my container and sort of, what is the humidity? What is the temperature? You know, these kind of things. And when it arrives, you get it back, uh, you know. So if it could transmit the data to you, okay, that's fine. You don't need to do anything special. If it could not transmit the data, maybe you were just monitoring the, the temperature and humidity to put pressure on the on the, the transportation company. Maybe your goods have to, to be refrigerated or something like that. Then you mm. read it. You get the data, you get all the logs, and then okay, you send it back to the shipper for next next time, right? So this is 
this is something that's already on the market. I've, I don't remember the names of the companies. I remember at the Consumer Electronics Show earlier this year, there were at least two companies doing that. Okay, so that's in a, in a simple way. Now, some companies in the Wall Street Journal article that you mentioned earlier, they mm-hmm. say that uh, Ralph Lauren and Adidas and, and a few other companies, they use... They use a um, product of a startup called Trust Trace. Okay. And what they do is they put the little uh, tracker on some of their um, uh, the materials. Okay. That will be input to several manufacturing processes. And it just follows the, the materials, the batch of materials. And then that's a way for the, you know, again, Ralph Lauren, Adidas, and so on to have some monitoring. Okay, well, is this batch of materials that went through here to be processed, went over there, then went over there, and then it's here in the form of a finished product or a a component ready to use in our own factory, right? So Mm. then they can actually say, well, this is clear and objective evidence that, yeah, it's that batch of material and it went here and it went here. Like, we know the supply chain, right? And for example, for... Um, forest products, you know, for wood products, you would have your 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 wood logs, and then you could work with that um, forest management company. Say, okay, here's the tracker, and then it, it follows all along the supply chain, right? Okay, then it went to that place where they cut it, and then it went to that place where they did that further uh, treatment on the wood, and then da 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 da, and then it arrives here. So we know and we can prove. Where you know this product, I have traceability all the way to that batch at the forest, right? And the and the forest in question is important here because you want to prove that you know it's right. not a forest it, it, like in the rainforest where they're you know deforesting the you know uh, sensitive right. areas and places like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a forest that's actively managed, and yeah. there's like a, you know they have cycles of whatever twenty years of we plant and we let it grow and and we take care of it, and then we cut, and then we we, we plant again, and so on, right? But it's mm. not a uh, one of these virgin forests that um, that have a lot of special biodiversity and so on that you really want to conserve, right? Yeah. So yeah, there's this difference, you know. They also talk about Williot, W-I-L-I-O-T, uh, very small tracking tags, uh, and and with some big investments from Amazon, PepsiCo, Samsung. Right. So this kind of little IoT trackers definitely has, you know, a role to play because it's very, very cheap and you you reuse it. Right. So you might use Mm. the same device to track whatever, 20 different um, batches of materials or more. Right. And maybe you don't put Mm. it in every batch. Maybe you do it randomly to keep a bit of pressure or whatever. Right. But that's a way. That's a way for companies to really go, you know, in the food industry, they call it farm to fork, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, um, yeah, like in, in leather, they have something like cow to, I forget what whatever they call it. Uh, anyway, to really have visibility over your entire upstream supply chain. But again, mm. if your business model is to buy some tablets for cheap in Shenzhen and sell them 
somewhere and you know nothing about all this because the tablet is the ODM product of that manufacturer because it doesn't make any sense for you to do all the R&D to develop your own tablet. Well, all of this is not working. <laughs> you have no clue and there's no way that you can get a clue, right? If you if you send POs of um, $50,000, $100,000 here and there, mm-hmm. well, it, it it's nowhere near enough, right? So you need to sort of rethink your business model here a bit mm-hmm. and really take note of this upcoming regulations and see how you're going to adapt. And then, well, I think, I think it's, it's, it's almost safe to say at this point, because it's coming so soon mm-hmm. that some smaller businesses, such as those that you've just mentioned, maybe they're buying in relatively small amounts, their white labeling mm-hmm. products with their logo. Mm-hmm. They might ultimately be forced out of the EU market by the right. EU commission. Oh, yeah. And, and, and what's more, the EU commission are okay with that because that's kind of what totally. they want to happen. Totally, totally. They want to drive certain behaviors. They have already done a lot of consultations with EU companies, um, you know, importers, manufacturers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they're going ahead with it. You know, the train mm. is is uh, is on the way, right? Yeah, yeah. In terms of timing, it's really very, very important to yeah, yeah, yeah to to understand if you wait for the final proposal to be. You know the final version of the text to be voted by the EU Parliament, then you only have like what twelve to eighteen months maybe until it's enforced in place. Mm-hmm. That's not enough time to start to develop your own products and to to pivot your business model and everything. You can't wait until you have full clarity. You actually need to look into what these um, different, you know. Uh, I would say statements of intent from the EU mm. Commission actually say, right? Very yeah. important. Uh, and now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now, yes. yeah. So sorry for the the note of uh, deep optimism here. <laughs> well, look, it, you know, the the good the, the good point is there's time. So if you're listening to this, thinking, "Uh oh, this does not sound good. I don't know if I'm prepared for this, uh, and I am importing into the EU." There is time. But time is now growing shorter, and that's why we've covered this, you know, more than once. I suppose the best advice at this point would be to, uh, well, start looking into it where your business is concerned. And, you know, listeners are free to get in touch with us, of course, because we are helping some people with this already, aren't we? Yeah, collecting information, doing a bit of due diligence to the supply chain. Mm requesting some documents to see if they have something and if they have something then going on site to verify it yes this is the kind of things mm. we've uh, we started to do for some companies uh, i mean we've been doing auditing you know <laughs> various kinds of due diligence for, for for more than 10 years but yeah um there's more and more of this um esg you know environment social governance type of um of due diligence, you know, that, that, that people are carrying out mm. with some voluntary schemes such as, you know, Ecovadis and so on that are pushed by the big customers. But also now is the big customers just looking at the upcoming regulation and saying, hey, we need to put the system in place right now. So we, mm. we are seeing changes, yes. I, I want a positive, I suppose, is access to China has gotten better now for... Right. 
you know, foreign buyers. So yes. if you do need to go to China and speak to your suppliers, I, you know, doing it in person, we can all agree is going to make this process easier. So uh, maybe a combination of you actually visiting suppliers in China and explaining the situation to them and starting to get their, you know, get them motivated to help you and maybe getting assistance from, you know, boots on the ground in China, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, third party businesses who can actually help when you're not there as well. And that's probably a good way to get going on it. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm. Great. Thanks, Renaud. Interesting topic, important topic. And we spoke mainly about the EU. Would it, you know, we, we can't say that this is coming in in all countries and all regions very, very soon, but it's probably fair to say that it's not only going to be the EU that does this kind of thing. Um, so the EU is leading the way. Mm. We have some countries like Australia, like um, Canada, that are really looking into this with interest, mm. right? And then you have certain states of the U.S., uh, California, New York, and so on, that are also looking at this with interest. And they will follow in their own ways. But really, yeah, the EU is definitely leading the pack here. For sure. mm. So keep it on your radar because this is probably going to be an ongoing trend. So, yeah, we need to we need to be aware of this. Thanks, Renaud. And once again, check the show notes for some good links to other content and podcasts that cover this topic. Uh, we've got written content which will introduce things like the Eco Design for Sustainability Regulation, which featured in what we've been speaking about today. That's really worth reading if you want to get a grounding in, uh, you know, what, what this is all about and how it affects you. Next week, we'll be back again. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophies Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com. That's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share because it will really help others discover us too.